All right, we're going to get into the word. Psalm 14, if you will. We're going to read Psalm 14. I want to reference Psalm 53. So if you want to turn to those two places, I would encourage you to do it. And then we're going to come into the book of Ephesians chapter 5. So let's go through some of these scriptures for just a moment. And I wanted to share something with you. I I, I pray this will be simple. Um, I pray that this would just be elementary, actually. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will be able to convict us and and bring us such joy and, and such peace in believing and belonging to Jesus Christ. I want you to be glad that you belong to Jesus And I I want you to understand how beautiful it is when you see somebody that is in love with Jesus. It's it's the most beautiful sight that you will ever see. You know, love just looks good on anybody. But when that is because somebody loves Jesus, that's just the greatest beauty of all. And this says in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that do good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that does good. No, not one. And I want to pause there and I want to ask you to go to Psalm 53 because this is one of the rare Psalms where this is actually repeated. And because this Psalm is repeated... I believe it would be wise of us to give attention to what is being said here and that we would take it to heart what God is sharing with us. So this is going to sound very familiar. Psalm 53, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men. To see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And just for the sake of time, I want to pause there. And I want to speak to you for just a few moments. You can go in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to turn there and just take a moment to share some scriptures from this passage But in this particular passage of scripture that stands out to me is it says the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. It's it's not saying from their mouth. You know, a lot of times we might read Psalm 14 and 53 and immediately think of an atheist. We think of somebody that is denying the existence of God um, for whatever reasons, intellectual reasons or whatever, uh, quote, scientific reasons they might want to say there is no God. Um, But that's not who this psalm is talking about. It's not talking about people who are unaware of the fact that there is a God, but it's talking about people who know there is a God, but in their hearts, they say there is no God. The the heart is the seat of a man's affection. It's a place of man's passions and man's will. It's really his soul. It's really who the person is, who you are as a woman, who you are as a man, what you love, what you don't love, what you like, what you don't like. What, what you think about, what you want to be, what you aspire to be. Why are you here on earth? What is it all about? And that's, that's the person that Psalm 14 and 53 is talking about. It's that person who's a fool. Because truly, it would have to be a fool who would acknowledge the reality of God, but really spent their whole life living as though God did not exist. That there was no pursuit in that person's heart for God. There was no pursuit, no desire, no longing to know who this God is that made me. If there is a creator, if there is this infinite being of power and might who is able to create everything that we see and the world in which we live and even took the interest to create me and I spent no time trying to understand who he is or what he is and why am I here? And what does he want to do with me? I would have to be the biggest fool that ever lived. Now, here's the case. This is God's assessment and God's examination that none of us are good. That's that's the fact. None of us are good. Not one of us in this room are good. We have all done abominable iniquity. We have all chosen our own paths. We all lived our life not seeking God. This is the remarkable thing. 
that this God that we did not love, that we did not seek, that we did not desire, that we didn't even pursue or try to figure out, pursued us. And he loved us. And when we were living as fools and we were ignorant of God, knowing that he existed, but not wanting our hearts to know it, not wanting him to affect us, through his grace and his mercy, God pursued us and brought us into a place of crisis in our life where we had to acknowledge God. And God will bring us into things in our life that are just bigger than humans can handle, bigger than things that you can cope with. He will bring you to things in life where you need a God. The sad thing is a lot of people will turn to a bottle. Knowing the bottle's not the answer, but it can serve as an anesthetic to the pain that I'm in. When God is there to really be the answer to our life. And so I liken it to this. If I could give you an illustration, I would liken Psalm 14 and 53 to this. It would be to a woman who's married to a man and she knows that she has a husband. She knows that, but she doesn't love him. In her heart, she doesn't love him. In her heart, she doesn't care to be around him. In her heart, she doesn't even like him. Every day she goes home to her house because that's her home and she knows that her husband lives there. But when she gets home, she spends no time pursuing him. She doesn't acknowledge him. She doesn't help him. She doesn't ask about his day. Whatever room he is in, she does not go in that room. She goes into her own room and she does her own thing. Her husband loves her. Her husband desires to be with her. And though she knows that she has a husband and she knows her husband exists, she gives no time to her husband and will not allow her heart to be affected with her marriage and her husband. And I think if that were the case, if, if, if somebody approached you and said, hey, I need to counsel with you, and that person was telling you that, you would begin to understand you are very, very cruel. To do that. Now, I'm not saying that maybe this husband deserves it. Let's say he's a good man and there's no reason for her to treat him that way. She's just not interested in him. And that would be the way most of or all of us have lived towards God. He's good and he loves us and he's merciful and he's kind, but we paid him no attention. We came into his world knowing that he's here, but we ignored him. We didn't want to go where he was. Church is an inconvenience. It's a thing for the religious, and I'm not overly religious, and I really don't care to be. I'm not going to allow God to affect my heart. I know there's a God, and I'll try to be good. And maybe in the end, when he weighs good and bad, he'll find me accepting. I don't know, but I really don't care. Just going about my own thing. That is the epitome of cruelty. Cruelty. And I want to, I want to bring before you this morning the desire of our Lord, the heart of our God. Because his heart is kind and it's gentle. As a matter of fact, there's only one place where Jesus self describes his heart. Only one place in the Bible he says, I am meek and lowly of heart. Meek and lowly of heart. He's really a caring and a compassionate God. And I want you to come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to just make a few statements to this, but before you do, and I might go to Luke 14 first. As a matter of fact, I think I will. I want to go to Luke 14 before we get into Ephesians 5. I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to read something. Do you all have those scriptures up there? Can you post them? Would you just post those scriptures for me? Um, I'm going to share some scriptures with you. Now listen to me before you just start reading. Um, and we're not going to start with that one. We're going to start with Matthew 4.19. Um, no, not y'all. Not y'all, them. Um, so here's what I want you to understand. We have pretty much reduced modern evangelism to a statement of fact. Do you believe in God? Yes. 
Do you believe that God is holy? Yes. Do you believe that you have sinned? Yes. What do you believe about Jesus? Well, I believe Jesus is God's son, and I believe God sent him to earth so that he would die on a cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins. And the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to be saved? Would you like to ask Jesus Christ into your heart? And pretty much person of reasonable understanding would say, yeah. So, so, so to be saved from my sins, to not go to hell and live with God forever, I just say this prayer, I confess Jesus, and I'm saved, my sins are gone, and everything's well with me. And, and basically, we've reduced Christianity to that. That's the understanding that most people have. And so it's sad because even in the church world where people have said these prayers of, of confession or, or prayers of faith or prayers of salvation still go about their life with no heart for God. God is an inconvenience. And when it conveniences me, I'll give him some attention. But other than that, you know, I don't want God to interfere with my friends. I don't want God to interfere with my life. I don't want God to interfere with my habits. I don't want God to interfere with my career. I don't want God to interfere with any of that. But if I can just say Jesus is Lord and he died for my sins, then when I die and go to heaven, sounds like a pretty good deal. That's not what Jesus ever asked. And these are the scriptures I'm just going to read with you. And I've, I've, I've posted them here because we're going to go through a lot of them. But, but I, I want you to just see this. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and one of the first things he says to some some people that he encounters is, I want you to follow me. I'm not asking you to acknowledge God, and I'm not asking you to acknowledge that I even came from God. I'm asking you to follow me, because if you follow me, you're going to certainly know that I've come from God. There's not going to be any doubt about it whatsoever. And your life's going to be transformed. And, and then, if you will, the next scripture in Matthew 8, 19 through 23, it says this. And a certain scribe came and he said to him, Master, I will follow you whithersoever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said to him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. I don't know if you can see that, but trust me, it says it. And that's my fault because I sent that to them. But it says, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And now you begin to understand that this thing with Jesus is not just reduced to a sinner's prayer, but it has opened up a, a brand new way of life that involves relationship with Jesus Christ. Not church attendance, not Bible study groups, not intercessory prayer groups, but it, it, it all revolves around being with Jesus. And still his disciples follow him to this day. That has never changed. Matthew 9 says, And as Jesus passed from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. In Matthew 16, Then said Jesus to his disciples, if any, now listen to this, read it. If any man will come after me, is that you? Any man or woman that will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That, you rarely hear that in modern evangelism. Because that's, that, that just like breaks the deal. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean, following him, coming after him, denying myself? No, 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 that's just, that's, I, I, I don't want to sign up for that. Say a prayer, confess him, don't go to hell when I die, that's a good deal. But if you knew Jesus, 
This is a better one. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In Matthew 19, Jesus said to him, If you will be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And you know what? Jesus didn't run. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, you don't really have to leave everything. Wait a minute. Like Jesus trying to beg him back. No, he let him go. These are the terms. He let him go. Mark chapter 2 says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And Mark 6, and he went out from there, and he came to his own country, and his disciples follow him. I like the way it says that his disciples follow him. It didn't say they followed him, because that's what disciples do. We follow him. The disciples of Jesus in this room are disciples because you follow him. He's affected your heart and your life. You no longer are a person that Psalm 14 or 53 would apply You no longer say in your heart, there is no God. Now your heart says there is a God. He's Jesus and he is my love and my life and my Lord. In Luke chapter 9, verse 61 and 62, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said to him, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, there were two instances where somebody wanted to go and bury the dead. And Jesus said, you need to come follow me. And another says, let me just go tell him by. And he says, don't put your hand to the plow and look back. In John chapter 10, and when he put forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow. But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. And then in John ten twenty six and 27, it says, But you believe not, because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So are you his sheep? Do you hear his voice? In John twelve twenty six, Jesus said, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If a man serve me, him will my father honor. There's a lot of people we get into ministry and we just begin to worship ministry. We love ministry. We love serving. We love being a posture of service. We, 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 it's just something that we greatly desire to do. We feel that we've been very fortunate with people serving us and now we can return that and serve other people. But this is different because Jesus is saying, if you want to serve Jesus, follow him. Don't just go jump into some kind of ministry and begin to work. No, follow him. Ministry and service will come out of being with Jesus. He'll make you a fisher of men. He'll do that. And then the focus won't become ministry and you won't burn out and you won't get tired and frustrated with it. You won't need the accolades of people. You won't need people to pat you on the back. Oh, you did such a great job because what is it that you're after? I want to follow him. That's all. I just want to follow him. That's it. And then in 1 Timothy 6, he says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. And there's another scripture right before we go to Luke in John 6, 65. I'm jumping one ahead for you. And he said this, therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve, will you also go away? 
But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that you are that Christ, the Son of the living God. How fortunate is the man or the woman who is absolutely from the heart convinced and sure that Jesus is that Christ, the Son of the living God, and has, listen, has nowhere else to go. People leave Jesus because they can. They have somewhere else to go. But Peter said, we don't. I would pray with all of my heart that you would be the kind of person in this room that would say, since the moment that I encountered Jesus Christ, I wanted so much more than just the forgiveness of sins and the escape of hell when I die. I wanted to know him. I wanted to be so close to him. I want to follow him. I'm not, I'm not into a prayer life. I'm not into a Bible study program. I'm into Jesus Christ and I just want to be intimate with him. Something happened in my life and I just love him so much. And so I want to read this in Luke, if you will. Luke 14, and it's in, and I think I have these scriptures for you, verse 25 through 33. And it says, there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said to them. Now here, here it is. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Just let me give you this remembrance. This word hate is not the kind of word hate that we understand hate to be. It's a place of preeminence. It's a place of first affection. And Jesus is basically saying, if there is anything in your life that holds you hold a greater affection for than me, you cannot be my disciple. If it's your wife, and there's a lot of men who follow their wives... Wife, if it's your husband, and there's a lot of women who follow their husbands, if it's your children, if it's land, if it's careers, if it's possession, if anything else holds your affection more than your affection for Jesus Christ, you cannot be his disciple. And Jesus considered this. He said, listen, there's no man that's going to build a tower that doesn't consider the cost. No king's going to go to war without first considering if he has the ability to wage a good warfare and win. And you're not the person building the tower and you're not the king going to war. Jesus is. And Jesus understands that the terms of discipleship, the terms of following Jesus Christ is, I have to hold in your heart the greatest affection. And even getting into your heart to do that rests upon me. And I'll give you an example of this. And the example is Saul of Tarsus, who was Paul the Apostle. Because before Paul was saved, Paul was probably one of the most prominent religious leaders of his day. He was a Pharisee, and he was just touching the law blameless, and he was zealous for the law. He was zealous for religion. He was zealous for Judaism and Moses and God. And he hated Jesus. He hated him. Paul hated Christians. And so Paul, through great effort, received, finally received permission that Paul could go through the region and wherever he would find Christians, he was given permission to arrest them and throw them into prison because Paul hated Jesus, hated him like the hate we know. And he hated Christians and he wanted them arrested and he wanted to kill them. And would allow for their death and observe it and watch it without lifting a finger to stop the murder of Stephen. Because he hated Jesus. But one day, when Paul was going to Damascus with his letters of authority to arrest the Christians, he had an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus was so astounding and the light of Jesus' presence was so great that it blinded Paul and knocked him off of his horse. And there was a voice that said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you? And the voice came back and said, I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting. And Paul, not because he loved him, he hated him. Not because he had an affection for him, because he had no affections for Jesus. But just because in that moment, Paul came to the realization that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the God, the Christ. And what do you do when you encounter the God? I would pray we did what Paul did. Already on the ground, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? It wasn't like, hey, you got a sinner's prayer for me to pray? What will you have me to do? I am yours. You are the Lord. I am your servant. I don't love you. I don't like you. I don't understand you. I hate your people, but I know that you are the God. What do you have for me to do? I'm your servant. And God transformed his heart. And this man, I would say probably without debate, would probably be considered at least one of the greatest lovers of Jesus Christ the world has ever seen. Not because of Paul, but because of the Jesus that he met and came into his heart and changed his heart. So this is strong in Luke. It's strong what he says. About, about following him and having an affection for him that is greater than the affection of anything else in your life. So you ask yourself that. And let God answer that, you know, about the affections of your life. Now I want to go to Ephesians 5 and I'll close. In Ephesians 5, it says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. So there's a comparison now between a husband and a wife and Jesus and the church. Which is composed of you. That means you are the bride of Christ. Wow. Were y'all at... Or witnessed or saw pictures of Christy and Johnny getting married. And she's jumping up and down. Ready to get through the vows. I think she was happy to become his wife. I think that's the intent. That God has when we come to Jesus. That kind of happiness. That kind of joy. And he says in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. The Lord loves us. The Lord loves us. The Lord cherishes us. Imagine the greatest marriage. Imagine a man with the greatest, purest, noblest affections for his wife. And as high as that could possibly be, it would look like hate compared to the love that Jesus has for us. And not only does he love us, he cherishes us. That is really beautiful to me. And then he said this in verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. 
This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And I just want to stop there. This I speak concerning Christ and the church. And if, and if I can for just a moment, I want to speak of Christ and his church, which is us. And potentially you, if you're not his bride, if you're not born again, if you haven't been brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and your heart has not yet been awakened to a love for Jesus, to a desire to serve him, to a desire to surrender to him, to with a desire to be able to say to his proposal, I do. You, you're here in potential today to receive that invitation from Jesus. But others of us have received that invitation from Jesus. We've even kind of had a, a wedding ceremony with Jesus, if you will. We actually belong to him. I'm actually his and he is actually mine. I'm actually secure in his love and his comfort for me. I can rest in his desire to protect me and to provide for me and to watch over me and my family because of the relationship that we're able to have for Jesus. So the relationship of the man and the woman only exists to be a picture of the relationship of Jesus and the church. That's the whole purpose of it. Marriage was not the result of creation. It was the shadow of something so divine and of eternal glory that was coming. Marriage was the divine intention of God for his son and his church. But some of us have made marriage or our families the priority of our life and not Jesus. When he's the priority of our life, that's hard for some to swallow. Imagine how Jesus' bride should adorn herself with love for Jesus. Imagine how a woman adorns herself on her wedding day. Imagine the hours and the hours that it takes to get everything just right from the grounds to the bridesmaids to the bride herself. Everything about that woman at the conclusion of her wedding changes everything she is. She will even receive a new name because she will be given a new identity. She will have a new home. She will not go back to the place that she was in even that morning. And Jesus said to you, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Because I'm coming again to get you. Because you belong to me. It's the marriage invitation that Jesus was giving to us. We are the bride of Christ. We come in these altars with a desire to be married to Jesus, if you will. I don't understand the mysteries of all of this. Please understand that. I don't understand this, all of the spiritual implications of Jesus and the church fulfilling what is represented in the man and the woman. I don't understand all of that. But I do understand that what is carnal with the man and the woman and the intimacy and the love and the identity and the change of homes and the change of locations and the commitment that this man and woman are going to have together for the rest of their life is a shadow of a greater relationship and a greater marriage and a greater fulfillment with the church in Jesus Christ that I have been so privileged to be made a member of by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm humbled that me, a fool, Believing there's a God, but not seeking him, sought me out. And you can't say he doesn't seek you out. You're here today because of him. It's not your mama or your daddy or your grandpapa that brought you here. It's not Mother's Day. God invented Mother's Day so you'd be in church on Mother's Day. Because <laughs> he wants you. You're without excuse. 
The invitation is being laid out for you. So there is a proposal. There is what we call an engagement. And an engagement is that moment when the man, sure and convinced that I want to ask you to be my wife, and I want to step into a relationship with you where I will care for you and I will protect you. And I will be yours and you will be mine. And however the man does it, he will make a very sober and serious proposal to that woman. And he will wait for her response. We trust her response will be one of joy and gladness and excitement and happiness. And I do. Yes. Thank you. And that would be much like the sinner's prayer. And many of you have done that, but you never went on to the wedding. And and, and if you will, let this serve more as a parable, because I already said I don't understand all the spiritual implications of it. But for many of us, that's just the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord and he wants to take care of me. Would you let him? Would you agree that he's God and you can live with him forever? Yes, that's, that's the proposal. And that's as far as many of us have gotten with Jesus Christ. But you cannot confuse what Jesus actually said. Follow me. If you love anything more than me, you cannot be my disciple. You will not be my disciple. Not because I don't want you to, but you don't want to. What what man would go through a proposal to a woman and ask for her hand in marriage if he knew she loved another man more than him? Because it doesn't matter how good he is to her. It doesn't matter how wealthy he might be. The type of protection he could give her. He would know her heart. Though her body's with him. And her life is with him. Her heart. Her affections. Her love. Are with another. They're with another. What man could do that? Knowing that. Jesus knew that. And that was the proposal That he makes to us. And many of us have accepted that. And said yes to Jesus. And and, and I want you to understand this. That I do not believe water baptism saves us. I do not believe we're saved by works. But we're saved by grace through faith. And we're kept by grace through faith. And we're sanctified by grace through faith. But we cannot deny that Jesus commanded us. To follow him through baptism. And if you will this morning. Though it will not save you. Let it serve as an illustration. That perhaps it could be your wedding ceremony. Where your baptism represents. That you have left your old life. And your old identity and the home that you used to live in, whatever lifestyle that was. And now you have stepped into a new identity and a new life and a new home with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And you've taken his name as your name, his home as your home, and you're going home to Jesus every night. You're going home to Jesus every day. And what matters to Jesus matters to you. What concerns Jesus concerns you. What Jesus wants, you want to help provide that because you love him. You want to take care. That's what a good marriage relationship would look like. We want to help each other. And a, and a wife does not find it some huge chore to, to, to have to 
prepare, take care of things in the home or work alongside of her husband to make things right in the home and to have good kids and a good atmosphere in the home. They want to work together and she knows what pleases her husband and she wants to do that and he knows what pleases her and he loves and cherishes her so he wants to do that. You have this beautiful relationship and that's the dynamic of Jesus and his people. It is. It does not begrudge us to follow him. We have so committed ourselves to Jesus Christ that if we had the opportunity to leave, we wouldn't know where to go. There's nobody else like him. Nobody has these kinds of words that Jesus has. Nobody has this kind of love that Jesus Christ has. He has won my affections. All of them. Nobody comes before him. Nothing comes before him. He is it. And that's the relationship. Imagine a woman saying to her husband, Wow, be an honor to be your wife. I'll see you at Christmas, New Year's, Easter. And maybe a couple of more special days through the year. You'd be a fool to marry that woman. Imagine a woman who has no interest in you. No love for you. There's a lot of people. That's the relationship they have with Jesus. See you at Christmas. See you at Easter. See, it's some special days through the year. But you're not going to touch my heart. That's not for you. And absolute freedom and joy comes when you say, Jesus, with all of my heart, yes. Yes, I, I follow you. I follow you. It's not about churches and tithing and Bible studies and prayer meetings and church fellowships. No, it's about I follow Jesus. So where's Jesus? At the prayer meeting. That's where I'll be. Church. That's where I'll be. It's his house. That's where I'll be. He loves his people. He's in the midst of his people. There's a gathering of his people. I'll be there because I'm following Jesus. I'm under his discipline. I'm under his protection. I'm under his love and I'm under his care. I want you to stand with me and I wanted to, I know that I've probably done this before, but If you're not married to Jesus, you're married to a very, very, very abusive and bad man called Satan. And through a process of death, which is what we call repentance, you can be set free from that relationship with Satan. And you can come into a brand new relationship and a brand new marriage with Jesus. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, we are the slaves of somebody. No man is his own. And so many of you have said, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe Jesus is the Savior. And I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross. But maybe you're like Paul. This is way too big for you to make commitments and vows. I get it. I can't either. And I am grateful for the grace of God that I see in the Apostle Paul that is able to give me a heart that loves him. It gives me a heart and a mind that understands now and it all makes sense. I didn't have that before. But he gives me that, that new life and that new identity. And I have become, I've become his and I'm so glad that I am. I've had many opportunities to leave Jesus. I honestly had nowhere to go. I really didn't. I don't know what I'd do without him. I love him. And I know you love him. I know you believe him. 
Some of you have never been baptized. Why? He asked you to. You're embarrassed? Scared to be in front of people? What are you going to do when a man or a woman asks you to marry them? Stand in front of all your friends. You'll do it then. Why don't you do it for Jesus? Follow him. That's, That's a lot easier than some mystical thing that has no tangibilities to it. I can follow Jesus. How? By his spirit. He gives me his life. He gives me the strength. He gives me the power to do it. He changes my heart. So if you want to accept, and and just let this be like, maybe just the first time in your life, you you know, with Jesus. You want to become a follower. This, This is the invitation, and I love the invitation that Jesus has extended to us. So on behalf of Jesus, I'm asking you if you would like to marry him. He will be your greatest love. You'll have no other gods before him. He will change your identity. You will take his name. You will move to his home. You will live under his love and protection and care. He asks you to follow him. And as I read this, and if it's what you desire to do, And I'm not against sinners' prayers. It's kind of like the proposal. But I want to follow. And if that's your choice today, maybe you never really have. Maybe you say, my heart, I just don't know that I have that kind of love for Jesus. That's all right. Neither did Paul. But you know he's the Lord. And he'll change your heart. Then you just walk up to this altar while I'm reading this. If this is what you desire, if this is the terms that you will accept with Jesus, then you walk up to this altar and you give your yes and you follow him by grace. So this is what Jesus' proposal is to you since you were precious in my sight. I have loved you with an everlasting love. My ring for you is my son's death. It's the commitment of my unfailing devotion to you. Though your mother could forget you, I never can. For you're graved upon the palms of my hands. And with loving kindness, I have drawn you to myself. I will not allow you to be put to shame or forsaken. I saw you dead and I sought to be your life. I saw you lost and I sought to be your way. I saw you defenseless and I sought to be your shield. I saw you wounded and I sought to be your healer. I saw you wounded, saw you condemned, and I sought to be your defense. You were cast out, I sought to be your restorer. I would rather die on a cross than live without you. I want you to be with me. I want you to see my father. I want you to live with me in the place that I'm preparing for you. These altars are open if you want to say yes. I will never remember your sins again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I will give you peace that passes your understanding. I will deliver you from bondage. I will fight your battles. 
deliver you from your enemies. I will heal your diseases. I will give you power. I will not let you be condemned. By my love for you, I will deliver you from all your fears. And I'll put no conditions on my love for you. I will give you joy for mourning. I will be your shield. No good thing will I withhold from you. I will give you my righteousness. I will give you my name. I will give you my kingdom. So a few of us have said yes to you, Jesus. We've walked the aisle like a bride to her husband. Unashamed to kneel at this altar to say yes to you. And it's still open if you want to come. going to follow you by your power, by your grace. I'm going to follow you. Good times are bad. Riches are poverty. Sickness are health. Say yes to you, Jesus. Help me to be a good wife, good friend to you. Help me to be a true lover for you. Wash me with the water of your word. Present to me or to yourself, present me to you, spotless and without blame. Dress me in the wedding garment. The altars are still open if you want to say yes. The bride does not stay at the chairs at the wedding. She comes up front. Why is that so hard to do? Why is that so hard to do? Are we such big men (laughs) and we can't bow to Jesus? In heaven, they bow. I will follow you. I will follow you. Whithersoever you go, I will follow you. I want your your name, your identity. 